Y'all, I switched to PickTime this fall and I've been blown away by their stunning photo gallery delivery system. I can deliver photos to my clients, submit to publications, share exclusive images with vendors, and make passive income through offering high-quality print products to my clients. Their automated sales system is so effective that within months, I had made more working with PickTime than in a whole year with my old delivery system. One feature that I really love is the automated sales emails. They've expertly tested email automations, early bird sales, holiday sales, and much more. So you can literally flip a switch and have peace that your clients will be taken care of and your shop will be profitable. Listeners can get one bonus month free using the code dangerous creatives when you sign up for a pick time account. Hello, and welcome to the dangerous creatives podcast. If you're growing your photography or creative business, you're in the right place. Each week, we deliver a workshop-style solo show, expert interview, or motivating story from our community, so you can tune in to find encouragement, motivation, and ideas to help the right people find you and your amazing work. I'm your host, Kristen Sweeting. I'm a photographer and coach, and my favorite thing is helping dangerous creatives just like you stand out in a world that just wants us to blend in. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Well, hey, and welcome back to the Dangerous Creatives podcast. I'm really excited to have my friend Samantha Joy here today. And we're talking about a lot of things. We're going to talk about event planning, hospitality, um, styling, and branding, and all of that. But Samantha Joy, she is a event planner and designer with the House of Joy, also a co-owner of Emergence Events, which is educational dinners for wedding professionals. And she also has a great live styling course um, and how to elevate your styling skills. So if you're a photographer or a wedding designer, make sure you check out her styling courses. I'm just really excited to have this conversation today. And we're going to leave with like lots of tips for all the things. And I hope you enjoy this little rabbit trail that we're going to go on because we're going to, we're just going to weave all over the place today. <laughs> so Sam, thanks for being here. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, you're welcome, Kristen. I'm excited as well. This should just kind of be a, a fun little change up to the week for sure. Well, I think a lot of people on this that are listening to this podcast are photographers. And so I'm always kind of nosy about the planner side of things. And so I figured we'd start with a juicy question of what's the hardest part of being a wedding planner? <laughs> oh, um, uh, well, if you know me, you know, I like getting right to the meat of anything. So don't ask me about the weather. So I'm all for digging into the deep end or jumping in rather. <laughs> um, the hardest part about being a wedding planner, I would say, probably the first thing that comes to mind is something I've always kind of thought about is that I think it's that there's no central standardization in what we do. And so what people believe that we do is very different um, across the board and across the country. So it's different when you're like a dentist. Okay. I know my dentist does this, but I know my orthodontist does this um, photography versus videography. And it's really a difference of let's say coverage, whether there's a video or not, or hours, but when it comes to someone who considers themselves an event planner or a wedding planner, there's a lot of smaller subsets in that, whether it be, do they also do coordination? Um, coordination has really turned into the terminology of event management. 
Um, do they do production? Do they do just design? Some planners only do planning and no design. Um, some are creative directors and not designers. Um, and some are stylists. So within that kind of whole gamut of things, I think that that's where it can just be confusing is that I don't really know what this person is and how it like actually compares to the next person. So for us at House of Joy, I am a prop stylist. So I do all of our clients' individual flat lay styling and all of that from a prop aspect and a vignette aspect. I'm also a planner, which is the logistics side and a designer from the design side. We manage and take care of all of the design stuff. Um, we do full service planning and we do event management services, which is what I say people here as of, um, you know, day of or month of coordination. It's not really that we're managing the event and we start much further out and that's kind of where those changes come in. But we um, are not a creative director for our wedding clients. We're a creative director for our branding clients. So it's a little bit different, but it can, it, and then some people do styling, like fashion styling as well. So we don't do that um, in that regard, but it, you can kind of see how it can be a little bit different of, okay, what areas do you really do and you work on? And I think that's the hardest part when you first chat with somebody or try and understand their website is how is my experience going to be different or better, it, you know, good or bad. Um, it shouldn't ever be bad, but good or different from something else that a friend or a colleague might've experienced. Yeah, totally. I don't think I even realized all the different elements that can go into being a wedding planner or what falls under that umbrella. And I'm sure communicating that to potential clients is really challenging just to explain all the different ways that you can work with someone and what you're uniquely bringing to the table. Have you found a good way to communicate that to people? So what I do actually directly relates to our process and the way that I work with my clients. So we go through a planning phase to talk about planning. We go through a design phase to deal with design. We work into production because I, I like and enjoy working on large production events. And then we have a management phase. So we have four different phases. And it's helpful because I'm very... Transparency is kind of an obvious word, but it's uh, very forthcoming about telling you what we do and do not do and where our boundaries are. So when we first kind of had that call, we want to know, like, is this a logistics-focused event? Is this design-related? And there's always going to be something we're talking about, about production that we need to deal with in the planning phase and how those things weave together. But I really take a holistic approach to our planning because I need to know what that is. And so that's why I don't separate out planning or design um, because that's, I want the design intertwines into the logistics side and it's hard to pass that off to somebody in that regard. So we explain it when we meet with our clients um, or prospective clients about how it relates to the process. And it helps them understand what those tangible things result in, in terms of, okay, planning is our caterer, our hair and makeup, our photography, our videography, our location, transportation, those things that are going to impact the structure, um, right? That like body, that framework of anything. And then our design is really like how we're going to dress the body up. Um, yes, you have to be able to go to the store and it has to fit the right way. So there are logistics related to it, but picking it out, the fabric, you know, in this case, the linens, the draping, how the lighting's going to work, what's that flow and that kind of feeling that we want to have for the overall day in terms of our guest experience and how they're weaving through spaces, that's going to kind of be where it falls into design. And then the production is building it all together um, and actually bringing that to life. So um, we find that that usually helps them. And then if there's any sort of like little things here and there um, in terms of different um, 
uh, services that we might do differently than anybody else or somebody else that they've spoken to, we speak to that specifically so that they know like this is a different area of support and why we do it in that way. Yeah, totally. Totally. So when someone hires a coordinator and then is disappointed that they're not doing all of the things that you would provide, that's just a that then not understanding the scope of what working with someone full time would do. Right. And we'd like to go through that with them, even though they might be coming to us for one service. I want to let them know, hey, this is how this would compare to other people who are in our market or other people in the market that we're working because we do do destination events. We want to let them know um, this is going to be why we do it and just kind of full transparency on that. And we we give them a lot of information to know what that tangibly turns into. I think anytime you invest in something, it's helpful to know like what that is. It's not just the experience, but what's the tangible about it. Um, so we also show all of our clients, you know, before they're officially clients, our paperwork too. I like to kind of show them like, this is how this translates from a design aspect into our design decks and from a, a logistics and a planning perspective into like our timelines and our production documentation. So I wasn't even planning on talking with you about the sales process, but I think it's so interesting thinking through something that's more complex, like um, what you do with your event planning and design and production and having to walk it through, walk that process through with people. Have you found things that are more successful versus less successful when you're trying to show that value to a potential customer? Or I don't know, any like any encouragement for people that are like, I offer this really high end, high touch service, and I'm struggling to get people to see the value of it. Have you found certain things that have really helped with that. Yeah, I think when you offer any service, um, and I, I, I can kind of credit you for some of this, Kristen, from some of the work um, and the conversations that we've had, but it's really helpful to think about it from uh, like what I would consider a holistic approach. Think about it from all of those sensories and the life. What is it about that service that you're offering? Why are you offering that service? And what does that service mean to them? But I like to go one step further. Um, I tell my clients, I'm not just here for you guys. I'm also here for your, for your parents. I'm here for your family. Like I'm here to support that, right? Like I'm stepping in, in a role to be you and host your event, but I'm not the host, right? And so I want you to be the ultimate host that feels effortless and all of those things. And you have to you have to kind of understand the different types of approaches that people have. Are they logistical? Are they money? Um, and sometimes, and we've done this on calls before and it helps, is just, what do you need to hear? What's really helpful for you to understand about us during this time? Do you want to understand what the process is? Do you want to know how the financial steps work? Do you want to understand like our business policies. And that sometimes is a great way to get people to like self-identify of like, hi, I'm, I'm the thinker or I'm the feeler or because you've got to get your clients to understand those different sides. And it's helpful for you to know, because then you also know what you're working for it on. One of the things we do during our sales process that has helped us tremendously is we require that any and all financial financial contributors or decision makers are on our first call because I'm going to be the best one suited to talk about my business and the services that myself and my team offer above and beyond anyone I've just met and spoken to for 20, 30 minutes or an hour. And it's harder because the person, if a bride is the only one talking to or just the groom, having them go back and, you know, first you have to sell them. And so they have to feel as confident about it. And if they don't, they're never going to go back and sell it to anybody else. 
But it's better if you are able to build that camaraderie and that relationship with mom and dad from the get-go or anybody else, if it's an aunt who's ever contributing or something like that. They want to know that they're being tended to and that they're being heard. And it's really important to be able to give them that space and that opportunity. Um, If our clients are like, no one else is involved and it's just them. And then at the end of the call, they're like, yeah, I need to go back and talk to dad. That's a red flag for me. I want to know why dad wasn't on that call. Um, And then I asked to speak with dad. Great. Let me know when Joe can come on. Let me know when I can talk to your father, um, your mom, whatever that is, because we really want to deliver that message the way that is true to us and not filtered through any other way. So we found that that's actually really, really helpful. And then we ask on a pre-call questionnaire if they're willing to, when they're coming on for design, if they're, you know, feel willing and able to allow for, you know, new and creative ideas to be entered into their space. And that's a big one for us because when people say yes, we know that they're gonna they're gonna really kind of trust in and lead into the design experience and how we kind of transform through those discovery ex- exercises. I love those. I, I love pointing out that yeah, if not everyone that's making the decision on is on the call, you're you're gonna waste your breath sharing with one person that then can't take what you said to them and take it back to everybody else. Um, and then yeah, with the having that pre qualification of like, can we get a little bit creative or is this gonna be? Um, hard. I think those things are so important to know in the sales process. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to jump into styling because you are just so good at thoughtful and intentional styling and helping people learn how to do it in a way that is really organic with the event that you're working with. And so even if you're listening to this and you're not a photographer or you're not doing weddings, I think there's so much to learn from this styling conversation as it comes to branding relating to other pieces of our marketing. Um, or, you know, even if you're just taking photos personally for your business and doing flat lays or doing something to help market your business, I think learning some of these tips that Samantha has is so important for, for all that we're going to do creatively in our field. So I wanted to start with what do people get wrong when it comes to styling? <laughs> this is actually one. It's a That's a fun one to mention. So I can kind of rattle them off really quickly. But one of the ones that a, a good friend of mine reminded me of the other day, because she's like, I never thought of it until I had heard you um, say it. And now I think about it anytime I see it anywhere else is um, putting shoes in their invitation flatways. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> that's one a, of the ones. You're saying so, we should do that or we should? No, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> And to your point, Kristen, is that like the styling is really universal. It's really about whatever you're doing and thinking about it through a different lens. The poor use of ribbon is a is a fun one um, because it's a leading line in the wrong way. Um, a true flat lay or like a blob um, is just messy and nobody really absorbs any of the content or the story that's there. And then like a different, a misuse of perspective. So we usually see that most often translated into the use of florals or blooms is people will use really, really high thick blooms, things like roses that have a a pretty big height to them. And they don't bring the other things of importance to meet that sort of um, perspective within the frame. In the styling world, there's different, when it comes to wedding stuff, there's different thoughts on whether the rings should be in the invitations or not. So I always kind of say that that's a personal choice um, as far as things go. And then I think the other thing is not um, when it comes to branding and company, um, you know, small businesses, food styling and things like that. I think one of the big things that people get wrong is they forget to consider the vibe, Um, the vibe as it relates to your brand. If your brand is setting off a very fresh and clean, then you should be using white plates, um, really clean, sophisticated lines. If you're 
Joanna Gaines, then, you know, bring in the shiplap and the worn and weather wood, because that's all about that vibe and that aesthetic and the branches. But I think they go at it thinking this would be fun and something to try. And yes, there's always room and space for that, but forgetting to remember where the home base is because their brand is a personality. It's a, it's an aura, it's an essence, and people are attracted to that for that personality consistency. And so without bringing that back, there's new ways obviously to do different lines and launches and things like that, you know, the seasonalities and things. But um, I think that they sometimes stray away from it being like something new and fun. And it can be confusing within the brand and not help to kind of strengthen that story that you have in the market. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Because if you think of it just as, oh, this is just a photo we want to post on Instagram, let's make it trendy and um, you know, pull in these elements, but it's really opposite from the whole brand story of that business. Or, you know, even the with the wedding, if um if you're doing an event, because that's kind of it's kind of the same as a company. You have a wedding that's yeah. kind of the container of everything, and everything want you want everything to kind of fit inside of that, or your company and every everything needs to fit inside of that. And then someone's like way off in left field and like, let's hang the shoes from a chandelier and all of a sudden like something doesn't make sense because it just doesn't fit with the rest of it. So um, I loved what you said about essence and kind of personality of something. Um, Could you talk more about that? Like either what do you think of as your own business essence or what are some examples of how we could start kind of figuring out what our own vibe is if we run a company or if we're planning a wedding or or whatever? Like how do you kind of, how do you feel that? So good, good question. So kind of a couple different ways we can unpack it. So what I always tell my styling clients who are in the wedding space, because it's easier for them to look at the event from like an event branding standpoint, it's always harder to think about ourselves. So we'll start with other people yeah. first. I, I The way I teach styling is through a story lens. It really is about a story, but I think um, photographers and videographers start most often with the people and they're really great at the posing, but now I want like everything without a person to tell the exact same story. And it simply can be being prepared and preparing your calls with the client for the wedding day. So asking colors, asking what created the design, asking what design pieces are influenced by. I don't think any of the ones behind me like show uber well, um, but I'm sitting in front of my design boards and the, you know one of them is a birthday party that's concepted. It's a masquerade, but she has a lot of butterflies and she her hair is purple. So it's purple and blacks and golds and she loves butterflies. So the, the design theme is a metamorphosis from butterfly to mask. Oh, and I so love there's that. There's a lot of elements that will come through but if you don't ask those questions, it goes into not knowing what surfaces and backgrounds, what other props to use and what other kind of like ways to style, whether it's very structured and rigid and modern or more organic and free flowing. So if we take that same sort of look and that same sort of question and we bring it on ourselves, I always say, if you're not good at figuring it out yourself, ask the people around you, ask your closest friends and your closest colleagues and say, Hey, what does house of joy stand for? What does it mean? What do you see it as? And if something they says resonates and you're like, yes, okay, that was a really great way of saying it. I'm going to bottle that up. 
And if they say something you don't like, then you know that you kind of need to work at addressing that and any sort of visual and styling pieces. So a little bit on House of Joy, because you asked about that. So House of Joy actually came to be a couple years ago. Joy is my middle name and I love it. It's a family middle name that my mom has and I've shared with my daughter. But I've always been inspired by French couture houses and they don't necessarily have to be French, but I love that when you're in um, Paris, the couture houses, you know, own a very big, beautiful, detailed building. I wouldn't want to say that I'm like the most maximalist in style, but I'm not a minimalist. I love lots of architecture that you find in these couture houses, but I love the idea of it being a home, not in the traditional home sense, but in the fact that like you walk in and the building has everything. You've got your atelier, you've got your model fittings, you've got the design center, you've got fabrication, like almost everything is done there. And I love that idea of like, you come here to be fully welcomed and fully brought in. And so I want people to be like, it's a very homey, very hospitable. So I want to be bringing those things into my brand. Um, And so that's why we have houses as part of our brand um, imagery. It's where some of our structure comes in. It's where the rigidity of our our text comes in. And so we want people to feel that in, in the way that we address stuff. And so it's what I think about in the way I like personally style myself for public appearances and things like that. I'm I'm not, my brand isn't boho, so I won't be in that like bohemian feel, right? We think of those styles when it comes to wardrobe, but I think we forget to think of it as it comes to brand styling and how our items and pieces are presented. You can get beautiful business cards if you use one, um, but you can also translate what you did and pick and chose and all of that into everything else. And the same can be said for food styling when you do, you know, your food prep for your restaurant. Well, what's the feeling of the restaurant that you want people to leave? Um, How do you want them to experience stuff? That should translate into that photo so that someone's, you know, drooling at the little salt that's being dripped over the stack of brownies or whatever it is that they feel is just going to be, you know, an experience that they're already kind of having FOMO just looking at that image beforehand. Oh, I love that. And I love Um, you know, thinking about a creative project and even just that we can add so much more value to the company or the wedding or the other vendors that we're working with. If we go in with that kind of vision of how do I help them uh, up level or enhance their brand instead of me coming out of left field with this totally different idea that's not going to flow with the rest of what they're doing. So I love thinking about it that way. And thanks for like talking through the house of joy. That's really cool to see that visual of like, homey, but also um, like a a designer shop where I could feel really taken care of and tailored to and, um, and seen. Right. Yeah. Taylor, Taylor's a great word to use there. Amazing. Well, are there certain shots that you think every photographer should get from an event? So if you're there styling and you are like, I want to make sure that everyone's on the same page about a certain, certain types of shots, from the styling perspective, do you have certain ones that are kind of like must haves for people? Yeah. So I think, and there's two hats, there's kind of two hats I can wear within that. So as the like prop stylist doing the styling component of things, I always, one of the ones I think are just kind of missed often is what I would consider like a full paper goods story. Um, so not just your invitation, but adding in a table number, the programs, they're very, very big. And I understand, I know they're complex. I sorry, but there's, cause there's lots of components to it. But I think that something like that, that's just a true, really big kind of story piece I've forgotten a lot about. One of the things I find 
that people do that's really time consuming is they'll style all the individual pieces. And when you spend the energy styling something that's very large, you can actually go down to what I call vignette shooting. I don't know if it has a proper name, but I call it vignette shooting, which is shooting like smaller sections, like really the details of that smaller thing. Because when you bring it all together in the gallery, it'll be really, really cohesive. I think people forget about food and beverage. I think people love looking at it. And I think you eat with your eyes a lot. I think it's forgotten about. So we usually, when I'm very hands-on with our menu development, with our catering and our clients, um, I want to talk through what are those flavor profiles and how that palate's experiencing things. We try to get a sampling of all of the um, appetizers and any signature cocktails, especially if the signature cocktails are you know, hopefully something more than just like a gin and tonic or an old fashioned because people spent time and energy into that. So having that conversation ahead of time with your food and beverage team or the caterer to find a good time in the schedule to get those and shooting it with the right light um, and shooting it where it feels right within the story. It could be something actually holding it or someone drinking it or the bartender actively like pouring it into the glass with their shaker. Um, there's lots of great ways. And those things convert really well. We've seen so far on social media is people love that of like, oh, I need the menu or I need the ingredients or, you know, the new the new um, flavor burst that people have on the glasses and things like that. And then I'd say from a design aspect as a designer, I think room shots um, are forgotten about. And, you know, that really big very politely. Can everyone clear the space? Can we have it lit the way it needs to? That like beautiful lit full room shot from a couple different angles. And the planner side of me would always want to just chip in and say, if you have a drone or kind of get drone footage, like those are just some of our favorites that we never want to be like, go buy a drone, but we love drone photos. <laughs> They're so fun. They're so fun. Um, Yeah. And I, I love hearing that. And I think logistically, um, if you're listening and you're a photographer, know that so many of those shots she mentioned um, require lots of teamwork or intentionality. So if you're if you're working with a planner that isn't already thinking through how to get those shots and you're a photographer trying to get them um, over communicating beforehand, I've worked with people who we've pulled a ton of the details even before the event to photograph. You know, it it might be hard for the photographer to reach out to the caterer or all of the all of the um, different vendors at an event. But when you can, or if I can like hop back there and be like, "Hey, if you have a if you have a second, I'd love to get a photo of um, like one of your favorite dishes you have plated." Um, just knowing that everyone's working together to create. Um, you know, future marketing material for everyone too, and photos for the couple. I think that goes such a long way and such a long way in any kind of like being referred for things in the future when you're just going in with a little extra level of intention. Yeah. And Kristen, I think, I think also kind of what you said in the, in the way you said it is also considering advocating for yourself. So if you are working with a planner who handles a lot of that, communicating back to them, Hey, the best time for me to shoot the food would be this time. Ideally, I would love to have three of every appetizer, two of each, you know, whatever. How is the cake being set? Or like, can food and beverage accommodate that? Or can you put me in contact if you don't want to be dealing with that? Asking and advocating for the things you need make our lives as planners a lot easier because we can't, we do know a lot about everybody else's business, but ultimately we have to do the best for our client and that day and that event. And so knowing if you need something at a certain point in time, we can facilitate those conversations and get some of those answers because we know you want to do your best job and show up for us. We are usually willing to help you and do those things and help understand 
from other vendor categories who may not get the best things. Um, if you're shooting with those in, in mind, again, those people are going to share you on social media and have a really, really great experience of you. Um, that it's really, it's an easy way to also create kind of a fun little, you know, word of mouth referral. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. I mean, a big one with advocating for yourself as, as a photographer is just like asking for extra time in the timeline to do the full room shot. And a lot of that stuff can be done during that time too, which is really ends up working out. If you're feeling burned out or stuck in your creative business, we want to invite you to join our self-paced business coaching course, Danger School. It's full of audio and video lessons, plus a workbook, templates, and coaching examples and assignments. So you can break out of pricing plateaus, reignite your joy in your business, and bring in financial abundance. Our clients have been able to double and triple their revenue, create more space in their personal lives, land dream projects, get major features, and give back to their communities. You can download and listen to these lessons on your phone just like this podcast. And we have lots of clients who go back to certain sections again and again when they need to break out of a rut. You can find this course and all of our coaching offerings at dangerschool.com. Now back to our episode. Awesome. Well, do you have a favorite thing that you like to style or a favorite part of part of that part of your job? Do you have a favorite thing that you like to um, set shots up for? Yeah. So I personally love working with cake, cake appetizers and um, cocktails. Um, I think there's so much um, as a sensory designer, there's so much as it relates to the way you kind of absorb them. And I mean that through like when you think of cocktails, I'm sure what's going through your head already is like the clinking of glass going into a glass or the visual of a bartender shaking or a line being squeezed, those sorts of visual, audible, you know, sensory things that are already being triggered is how can we translate that into that imagery or series of imageries as carousels or, you know, videos um, are becoming more and more popular on social media. We, how can we kind of translate that and telling that story and then cakes, because it's a fun challenge are always an interesting part in the timeline of like, we're kind of tired. It's a little late. We might also be on a light at this point in the day. Um, but I think that there's so much... I I work really closely with our cake baker who we use. Lindsay's just absolutely fantastic. But she, the stuff that she can create, I mean, cardamom rose cake, uh, cherry chocolate ganaches. I mean, the stuff is just so detailed and in depth. I mean, she made a matcha cake for one of our Indian clients, but it doesn't, it just looks like a white cake, right? And so I think bringing in those other flavor profiles and things where you scroll through and you're like, oh, this isn't just like a beautiful cake, but like, what is this green powdery stuff that, oh, it's telling me it's matcha or like, how can I get the senses to be like, okay, that chocolate looks amazing. The cake looks amazing. And I instantly know that it's, you know, raspberry white chocolate with a orange peel buttercream or something. I don't even know if that sounds good. <laughs> Just coming up with those things. Um, those That's are cool. some of my, some of I my favorites. I love. Right now. <laughs> can we, can we she's, she's been one of my students and I love, I love working with her and what, what she can do. Cause that's always just like, you know, I'm like one of my favorite ones that she does is cinnamon roll, but I'm like, you'd never know, but it literally tastes like you just went to Cinnabon and put it in like a cake oh format. What? And so 
it's, you know, if you think about cake, it's what do you like to eat for dessert? Let's make it into a cake with the exception of cheesecake. We've done like, you know, all sorts of stuff. So it's fun to kind of think that through from a styling perspective of, you know, it's not just the finished cake. The finished cake is the artistry and the design, but she's also a a high quality baker. And that's what people want when they really want cake is they want that high quality baked stuff with that nice high fat content buttercream. Like they just want that, that feeling. So that those are always kind of fun for me to work on and for me to, to, to deliver. And then I love styling wedding dresses. Cause I think that that's such a, there's no more like wedding dresses hanging over windows, looking like a ghost. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to dress form and try to have it kind of tell something that feels really beautiful in that getting ready moment. I love that. I love, I love that you're like, doesn't have to look like a ghost. Let's make it look <laughs> like a photo that we want. I mean, we've all seen it where it's hiking from the window and you can see like the, the breast cups and it's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But it, it doesn't, right. It's, it's meant to make a woman look amazing in some way, shape or form and do her body and her figure. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't in a box or on a hanger. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, how do you relate styling with branding when you're working with a creative branding client or you're thinking through um, more like the business styling side, the marketing side? How do you incorporate these concepts? How do you be really intentional with storytelling when it comes to someone's brand? Yeah, it's the same thing that we do for our wedding and design clients. And that's really kind of where I was. I was originally first approached to be like, hey, have you thought about doing this, but from a branding or different perspective coming in as a creative director? And that's when I first learned what's a creative director, what's creative direction and kind of understanding that I'm already doing it. But like you said, in this aspect for wedding, the box and all the things, but for like wedding and, and branding and design in your company, here's the box and all the things over here. Um, so we take a very similar approach. I want to talk about kind of what is your brand? What are brand words that people are going to kind of equate to that? So if, I, if I'm going to walk through an imaginary gallery of your brand and experience all the things and go to the next room, you know, if it's a quiz, what are the words you want me to say? You, insert brand here, I felt X, Y, and Z. What are those words you want people to use? And then taking those words, I'm going to take your brand kit. I want to look at what your brand colors are, what you've already got in place and see, I usually do an audit for people's brands in part of that. I want to just see what, what are you using? And if I find any open spots, um, Typically, it can just be that like you've got a lot of verticals, but really your stuff plays a lot better horizontally. We need to kind of look at how we can get some of that stuff in there. Um, it could be that there's like a new launch and it's showing it in a different way. But we go through what is what is it about your brand that's already working? What do you feel isn't working? And translating that into what are those tangible pieces? And so again, as a sensory designer, I want to go back to okay, you're, I'm trying to think of an example at this point, but like you're a, a scarf maker and you want people to feel really elevated and really chic, but super cozy. Well, I'm not going to put a picture of somebody wearing a scarf, like out in the Bahamas, right? Like if it's really elevated, we want to think about being in Aspen or being out in the Highlands or something like that. Maybe they're horseback riding or shopping. We want to think about different ways and things that people are going to relate to that. And what creates cozy wood, certain patterns, right? High level of texture and textile, um, the way things that are packaged, right? Rolling, things like that, naturally flowing fringes on the front of any of like wool scarves. So displaying it in a certain way that translates to what we already associate. Um, and so kind of going through what are those, those triggers almost like taking again, what your brand wants backtracking, kind of almost reverse engineering. What are the triggers that makes your brain think it's one of these things or not? 
and then incorporating those into the way that we're branding and we're styling. Again, with the Joanna Gaines example, you think shiplap and worn wood and big clear vases with tall, you know, stringy branches, um, because those are synonymous with like a farm style and that kind of worn and weathered, you know, country um, vibe. And so that can be done for every brand and anything that we do down to what plate it's served on, down to the silverware style, down to, I'm thinking restaurant wise, right? Down to like how you garnish something and the color tones that are brought in, right? Are you bright and cheery and energetic? And why are you using black plates? Um, you know, simple things like that. If you want to be, I like being known for color. So when I met with my personal wardrobe stylist, she's like, you need all the color. And I was like, I have all the colors. She's like, yeah, but we got to put it together and match it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I can be colorful because I want to be colorful. I'm not a soft muted designer. I don't, I don't ever want that because for me, color is a great sensory and a great memory trigger for the way that people think. It's If I say Christmas, I would be willing to bet you thought red and green. And if you didn't, you owe me a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because it's so synonymous with that. So there's all these visual triggers that are there and ready and around us that people just don't realize that they need to be pulling into into that, into what they're doing for their brand styling and their personal styling and things like that and how they're going to equate to how someone sees you and absorbs your information. Yeah, totally. Totally. I I mean, I've seen this definitely true with websites and portfolios. I think we don't often think that it plays into every other aspect of life too. Like you mentioned personal styling. We had a personal stylist on the podcast a little while ago. I was like, let's talk about personal styling and branding and you know what you're posting and things like that. So I think thinking holistically is so powerful. Um, and also if you're having a moment where you're like, people, once they work with me, they're blown away they see how much value I bring, but they're not seeing it beforehand, then there's something that's not quite fitting with branding and with uh, the way that you're displaying the value that you're bringing to people once they're inside the family, the family system of your business. Right, right. Well, speaking of, you have several different businesses Mm -hmm. and you've (laughs) built multiple businesses over the years. Um, You're like so many businesses Um, (laughs) and this could apply to any of them. Any challenges that you've run into while growing any of them and how did you overcome that challenge? Yeah, I think um, the first one that comes to mind is really as it relates, just like growing and growing quickly Um, with House of Joy. And I think with any business that starts off as an entrepreneurship, uh, a solopreneur is team building a team and what that team aspect looks like and Building a team can look like a lot of things. It can be building out the personal side. It can be building out the professional side. It can be contractors, employees. It could just be, you know, outsourcing to some really great VAs and people who help. Shout out to all of those people who, you know, dabble in their their expertise and, and help everyone else. I think the transition from going from a solo person who does all the things or wants to learn all the things to realizing I am not the best suited for this. And where I need to get rid of things is one of the best experiences. I will not say I was the best at it. I thank the good Lord that I got pregnant and had to basically force that hand. (laughs) Um, But we offered a position to someone on our team. We have some really, really great event producers. And um, I gave birth to my second child, my son, Liam, um, in March of last year. And at the beginning of the year, I was like, you guys, I need help. And everyone's like, get a VA. I was like, a VA? It's like, that's just not going to work. Like, I work full. I like working. But, you know, I need to be doing less of it. I have another daughter. 
And so bringing on our business manager, Angel, was just such a great thing to do. Um, but it's it really took me through that bridge of... I don't have to do all the things. A lot of things can get done the way I want to get them. And it's a funny analogy because I say it all the time. I can get from here to my parents' house in Chicago a million different ways. I can Anyone can get there. However they get there is great as long as they get there, right? I mean, I'm, over time, we want them to be more efficient and more succinct and all of that. That's great. But it's giving them the tool so that they can do so because people do things in different ways. That's why we're all individuals. And so allowing myself to absorb that lesson and then to put that lesson into place was such such a learning opportunity. Um, and the same is said for um, Emergence, which I'm a partner in. Um, it's understanding what our partner strengths are and where we are and learning what we want to do and where our best you know, foot forward is and then not doing the things that we're not well suited to. Um, and it's a little bit of a different team dynamic over there because we're a partnership. But with, with House of Joy, it's uh, giving opportunities to my team, you know, allowing people um, to step forward and say they want to do something else. Um, and one of my great mentors always said is create the job for somebody you want to keep on your team. Don't, you know, make a job and try and put somebody in that hole. So I try to just be really receptive to, hey, you know, you look like you're great at this. Do you want to keep doing more of it? Um, you know, versus trying to just find that person who you're kind of just plugging a hole with. Um, Because I think when you create for that person, you create a a longer relationship and a lot more longevity within working with the business. And they're they're as life-giving to you as they are to the business. Totally, totally. I agree. Um, the, some of my team relationships have been some of my sweetest relationships and getting to, getting to help someone do the thing that they really love doing too, is just a cool part of growing in a business. Yeah. And one of the things I love, and I've always wanted about my business was to create an opportunity for more women to do things in what feels like, uh, and balance isn't the right word, but a, you know, a, a, a blend, a mix of a life that they have the way that fits for them, right? We're still a business and still have, you know, goals and dreams and deadlines and with working with events very naturally. Um, but I think having that balance of, I'm not a Monday person. I don't want to do that. Like, but I don't mind doing a couple hours a night. I personally can't. I have two small children. At that time, I just need to turn my brain off. <laughs> so knowing and kind of really identifying what works for you and your team. And it's not its not easy. It's not at all. I think I've had so many conversations. You've been part of them both previously, Kristen. But you know, having conversations with different people of, do you outsource personally? Do you outsource professionally? Do you just go big or go home? You know, is it an employee or... You know, do we just ask someone to do our Instagram or, you know, our blogs or whatever it is? Um, and there's there's power in that because it's interesting as a planner because we provide that essentially for our clients is the offset is I'm saving you all this time and this time and energy that can be spent elsewhere and what comes down to being that value. Um, and sometimes I don't think we look at things from, you know, the value trade-off or, you know, opportunity costs. I think we look at it from just a, a purely financial, but Sometimes when you have some more time and more energy, you can make more money and do more things that are, you know, that that are value or be more present in people's lives if needed. Oh my gosh, totally, totally. Yeah, did it take you a while to figure out which which things you really wanted to do and which things were okay to let go of? Yeah, I think we're still, I, I will say I'm officially, my son turned one last in March. 
um, early March. And so I think we're still, we're now that I feel like I'm fully back to work, kind of going back and revisiting all of our like job descriptions. Um, and we have a, a member of our team who's also expecting, which we're really excited about for Claire, who's ready for the next transition in her life. And we've, you know, we love trying to figure out how to bring people in. So we're kind of recalibrating again. Um, I like building a team. I want to be building a bigger team. So it's trying to figure out where, where we can get everyone to kind of fit in and what that means, who gets rid of what. And if the, as someone who kind of identifies as a maximalist within your business, it's also like, we don't need to be doing that thing anymore. Let's save that time. That's just not our thing. So it's not on anybody's plate. So we're the the answer is we did, and then we're back to the drawing board because you know life and capacities have changed in a good way. They've like evolved, uh, evolved, and, and and have grown. Um, and I'm finding there's certain things that I I'm I am really well suited at, and I just need to be more comfortable with them and learning something new or kind of whatever kind of whatever the degree is of something. Yeah, totally. I I think that's such a good point is that life keeps changing and shifting and the seasonality of things. I for a long time was like, oh, once I I like really push through this next thing, everything will just be the same for a while. And I mean, it does. It stays the same for a little while, but, you know, life likes to change and grow and we like to grow. So um, just approaching it with kind of this openness of, We'll right. keep really reevaluating as our needs and capacities change. I think that that's just like a beautiful permission slip to give to other creative business owners too, that like life does continue to evolve and you got to reevaluate right. probably more often than you think. <laughs> yeah. And I, we've tried to put in reminders in our calendar too, of like, okay, we're going to save this date next December or whatever it is for you know, schedule team retreat, do this, do that, you know, um, quarterly check-ins and things like that. And trying to, you know, reevaluate and very, um, process feedback driven. So feedback from our team or our creative partners, what could we have tweaked or modified or made better? Um, we really kind of like to look at that and, uh, and improve. So keeping, um, safe time every week for a little bit of improvement, it could just be updating one process or form, um, I have a a coach of mine who just recommended some sort of template for my social media. I was like, that's genius. I didn't think about that. She's like, it'll just make you be able to leverage those things a little bit better. And so just spending the 15 minutes to create it, you know, is really, really helpful in the long run. So kind of creating that time and that space for something in terms of growth. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, because I have you here and I just get to pick your brain today, I wanted to know a little bit more about hospitality and um, hosting a great event, because I think that's something that we all want to be better at in different ways, whether this is a dinner party in our house or helping someone host a larger event or being part of a team that's running events. What makes for great hospitality? And maybe if we don't have tons of resources or tons of um, options or big team for, say, like a personal house party, like what could someone keep in mind that would make the biggest impact on um, creating like an intentional space around around hospitality? Yeah, good question. I think um, very fundamentally, it's just making sure people's basic needs are met. And it sounds so simple, um, but you'd be surprised. So, and I think the small touches that kind of come with that, and this is definitely not where I thought I would have answered with this question, <laughs> being honest, is um, 
you know, make sure your restroom is like available and accessible and has plenty of toilet paper and, you know, is clean and smells nice. Kind of sounds simple, but like it makes a difference to people. I think that one of the easiest exercises anyone can do is to pretend that you're a guest at your own gathering and go through a sort of like an, um, an imagery and imagination, like a visualization exercise. And I'm like, okay, I'm pulling up to the house. Do I know where to go? Um, at my house, we don't really use our front door because um, it's all the way over there on the other side. And this is actually where people park. So people actually come in our back door and our garage. So knowing and communicating that to people, if you're gathering anything and there's an end time that you want to set, communicating an end time um, so that people know, because if they're running late for something and they still want to come, if they know there's an end time, they know whether they can do that rather than not risking it. In terms of like making sure people are welcome, it's really nice to if you have somebody else who will be in the space with you is to kind of just give people a rundown. I like to do this with my husband when we have anyone over at the house. Um, We try to just say like, here's so-and-so here who they are. Don't forget. But also here's a a little tidbit about them that I know, Um, you know, so-and-so works from home and he walks their dog every day or this is going on or um, they have family who's from Cleveland, like trying to find those common threads and creating um, connection is huge because I think we're all out there just to kind of be seen, be heard, um, and to connect with people on a deeper level. So if you can find those common, those common tissues between things, one of my favorite things at weddings is when I can, and it's, this sounds so weird, but what I love when I can't get two gentlemen to sit down from cocktail hour because they're so in the weeds about a conversation together that I'm like, great, let's exchange numbers and walk and talk. And like, lo and behold, the host had already put them at like either the table together or the table next to each other. And they're just talking the whole night. And I'm like, this is exactly it. You have common people together. Um, I think also considering why you're gathering. And this one comes up a lot with our social events that we produce is, are you just checking a box or is there a reason that you're gathering? What do you really want to get out of this gathering together? Because I think to that point, it doesn't have to have anything to do with any money you have. You could gather about, hey, we're get, our party gathering is, I we all have a half empty wine bottles and we need to do a wine tasting. These are all, you know, bring your wine empty wine bottles and this is the reason. It could be, you know, a dress for success, bring all your old work clothes and we'll rotate them. Or if you're a stylist, like, you know, upscale some of them or recycle them in a different way. So really thinking about what their experience is and how they're going to experience the space with you, um, how you can be connecting anyone who's in that space together. Um, I think always being seen by the hostess really means a lot to people. And then thinking really critically about why you're gathering and what you want that like gathering experience to be like with other people. Because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what anything looks like. It matters how people felt and how you made them feel. I love that. Yeah, I think we get intimidated by hosting things or everything has to be perfect or the table setting has to be perfect. And of course, those things are nice, but the biggest thing is that connection piece and someone feeling welcome in your space or welcomed by you. Um, my son was doing a um, doing a sports team recently, and he was so nervous about going and being there. And and sadly, the coordinators of the event didn't think through like helping him meet another kid or introducing him to someone. And so his experience was very hard and didn't end up getting any better. And I'm like, even just someone saying, hey, 
my name is David. Let me introduce you to Joe over here. Would have completely changed his experience. And I, so I think like what you said is exactly right. And it also a little bit lets us take the pressure off of ourselves. If we think everything has to be perfect, you're like, actually, I just need to be present and to help people connect and feel seen in a really special way. And it's something we do with emergence events when we host those is we try to create as many opportunities for people to, it's why we do a lot of assigned seating. It's why we like assigning seating because we think through what's that experience that they're moving through. When would someone possibly, again, different personalities, when might somebody need a break of something, Um, but creating so many touch points where they can ultimately find someone about something that they connect on, that they walk away with this, um, you know, intangible yet highly valuable connection of somebody else that they've kind of, you know, our world is oh so big yet oh so small at the same time. And just kind of thinking through different ways. And I would challenge anyone who's going to host anything of any kind, as much as I love tradition, I would say get to know the meaning behind the tradition to know whether you want to do it or not. Um, because there's lots of really great ways to break from tradition, but the breaks from tradition shouldn't just be because you want to break from tradition. There should be like intentionality between why that that's going to vary and why that that's going to change the way in which you're hosting or gathering people together. Do you have an example of a time breaking tradition was done well? Ooh, really good question. Well, yeah, the mother son dance or father daughter dance. Rather, we had a bride who her dad passed away really young. So she wasn't really like raised by her dad in that sense. And so instead of not having the traditional um, daddy daughter, um, she danced with her mom. And so it was a break from tradition, but it still honored the idea of this is somebody who's been an icon in my life. And then um, her uncle cut in, her uncle who was a big, you know, her mom's brother, who was a big kind of male figure in her life, stepped in partially the way through. So she got to honor her mom, who wouldn't have been a traditional dance, but then also got to spend the time with her, with her uncle, who kind of was that, you know, father-like figure in that regard in her life. So, um, you know, a lot could be said too, you know, cake cutting and, and whether, are you cake people? I'm not a cake person. We're an ice cream person, but we do ice cream cakes. And so that's the way I can kind of thread the needle <laughs> for some of those things um, or not because it has to melt <laughs> yeah. or not melt rather, I guess, um, is a good way to, a good way to think of it in that regard. So um, that would, that would be one I would throw out there is, you know, think about it in a different way. Totally. Well, we've gone all over the place with this conversation, but I've loved every single part of it. And I'm so glad that you've been here today. Uh, is there anything that you are working on currently that you're super excited about? Anything you want to let everyone know about or how they can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. We have launched our um, new intentional kind of flat lay styling course. So what was our live in-person courses, which are classes rather that our local area loved, um, we just kept hearing that people weren't close enough. And so we brought that to a virtual platform. Um, And through the last couple of years, we have really extrapolated out to just being focused on both the branding and the wedding space. And so whether you are a branding photographer, a shop owner, you know, maybe you run a small little food boutique and things like that. All of these are kind of foundational components that are real actionable pieces broken down, super digestible that people can kind of take. So um, we've got a a little freebie for um, everybody that we'll, um, we'll share with you. Yeah. We'll put it in the show uh, notes. Yeah, we can put it in the show notes. That would be perfect. Um, 
the so everybody can kind of get in there and grab it and get some stuff about our favorite styling pieces and some things that they should know about why, you know, styling is important um, and, and the different various ways you can apply it to your life and your business. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And if you've been tuning in, thank you so much for listening. We cannot wait to have you again next time. Thanks, Kristen. This episode was produced and edited by the lovely Jen Madigan Creative. Music for this episode was written and recorded by Jamie Lono and Shammy D. Thanks for being part of our Dangerous Creatives podcast community, and we'll see you again next time.